السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي ربنا زدنا علما باب لا يتوضأ he should not perform wudu who a person when من الشك because of doubt من over here is of تعليل That a person should not perform wudu because of doubt Hatta until yastayqina He becomes sure He is certain Meaning If a person is in doubt about his wudu Whether or not he still has his wudu He's in doubt He's not sure Then what should he do? What should he do? He should pray salah He should not perform wudu Just because he thinks He lost his wudu. Just because he thinks he broke his wudu. Unless and until he is sure. You know, sometimes it happens with some people that they start doubting everything. You know, it becomes like a, an illness as well. I remember this, this sister was once telling me about her grandmother. When she starts performing wudu, she's not sure if she washed her hands. So she would start all over again. And as she's washing her arms, she's not sure if she washed her face. So she'll start all over again. So likewise, if a person is praying and he thinks he lost his wudu, he should not discontinue his salah unless and until he is sure. Because sometimes this shak, this doubt is from who? Shaytan. And the waswas of shaytan were not to follow that. So, you know, alhamdulillah, this guidance is also there in our religion that at times of doubt, what should you do? حدثنا علي قال حدثنا سفيان قال حدثنا الزهري عن سعيد بن المسيب وعن عباد بن تميم عن عمه who's عم uncle so he narrated from his uncle families nephews learning from his uncle that انه that indeed he شكا he complained الى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم to the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم who complained to him الرجل The man, meaning the person. Which person? What did he complain about? Alladhi, the one who yukhayyalu ilayhi. Yukhayyalu. Kha ya lam. That he used to, this thought used to come to him. Yukhayyalu, meaning it used to come to his mind. He used to assume, he used to think. Annahu, that indeed he yajidu shay'a. That he felt, he found something fi salah in the salah. Meaning a person who used to think this thought would come to him that perhaps he broke his wudu during prayer. So he complained to the Prophet ﷺ that these thoughts keep coming to me in my salah, that I just broke my wudu, I broke my wudu, I'm not sure. So, فَقَالَ So the Prophet ﷺ said, لَا يَنْفَتِلْ He should not turn away. أو or لا ينصرف He should not go away. In other words, he should not break his salah and go away in order to perform wudu again. حتى until يسمع صوتا Either he hears some sound أو يجد ريحا Or he finds some smell. In other words, if he just thinks that he passed wind, just because of that thought, he should not remain in confusion. He should only break his salah until he is certain. And what's the way of being certain? Either a person hears it or he will smell it. Now there are sometimes when a person knows and yet he doesn't hear, he doesn't smell. When a person is sure, that's different. But this is, a person is unsure. He's confused. Did I break my wudu? Do I still have my wudu? What's happening? So the Prophet ﷺ gave him two things to look at, to consider. 
before he would break his wudu. So in other words, until he feels the signs, until he sees them very clearly, he senses them, he should not break wudu. Both of these two signs, they can be perceived very easily. You can't be doubtful about that. Uh, the smell or the sound, you can't be doubtful about that. And this is something that's very important to know because otherwise a person can be in shak and his salah will be you know, constantly disturbed. He won't be able to focus on his prayer and he won't be able to complete it either. So it's necessary to know what to do at times of doubt. Now if you look at the tarjuma, meaning the chapter heading, لا يتوضأ من الشك حتى يستيقن A person should not perform wudu just because of doubt until he is certain. The hadith talks about only the issue of passing wind. But what about other situations? And this hadith only speaks about passing wind during prayer. What about other situations? For example, a person is performing wudu and he's not sure. Then again, outside of salah as well, if a person is ever in this situation, he should follow the same rule. Okay, he should follow the same rule. And this hadith teaches us some very important principles. That when a person is in doubt, how should he deal with that situation? There are many principles that we learn. First of all, we learn that الْيَقِينُ لَا يَزُولُ بِالشَّكْ That yaqeen, certainty, لَا يَزُولُ It is not, you know, it is not done away with, بِالشَّكْ With doubt. In other words, doubt cannot replace certainty. Okay. So for example, a person is certain that yes, he performed wudu. But he's in doubt whether he broke his wudu after that or not. So one thing he's sure about, and the other he's unsure of. So what is he going to follow? What he's sure of. Because doubt... What you're doubtful about cannot take the place of what you are certain about. So this is a very important principle that we learn. And another very important principle is that when a person is in doubt concerning the presence of something, whether something has occurred or not, whether something has happened or not, then how do you look at that situation? That that thing doesn't exist. What you're in doubt about, then what is definite? It's adam, it's non-existence. What you are in doubt of, then what is certain? It's non-existence. So for example, a person is in doubt. Did he break his wudu or not? He's confused. He's not sure. Then what is for sure? What is for sure? What is certain? It's non-existence. That he did not break his wudu. So for example, if a person is not sure, he's praying salah, he cannot remember whether he performed the ruku or not. Okay? He's not sure. Then what do we do? Do we just continue our prayer and finish and then... That's it? No. What do we do? We repeat the rakah and we say the ruku. We do the rukur. Correct? Why? Because when you're unsure, it is as though it doesn't exist. When you're unsure about something, it is as though it does not exist. And this is a very important principle that we can apply to salah, that we can apply to wudu, that we can apply to many, many things in our life. When it comes to rituals as well as outside. And, you know, there's a lot of benefits in this. First of all, it is that you know, it keeps a person stable, meaning it doesn't keep him shaky, keeps him in perspective. And then, you know, such doubts, they can really overwhelm you. You know, for example, if you're cooking and you can't remember if you put salt or not. Okay, and if you keep thinking, did I or did I not? Did I or did I not? So ignore that doubt. What you are sure of, what you are certain about. The last thing that you are certain about. And what you're doubtful of, you're not going to pay any attention to it. So what about the ruku'ah that you were just saying that we're not sure if we made ruku'ah or not, then we should still... 
I'm just confused. I'm okay, sorry. so for example, Rukur, you're not sure if you did Rukur or not. Okay, You ignore the doubt, but can you remember for sure? Do you have yaqeen that you did Rukur? No, you didn't. Okay, So you ignore the doubt and then you are going to do Rukur. Like from the hadith we see that if you feel the signs and they're clear, then you break the wudu. Like the hadith tells us that the salah, if you see the clear signs, if you sense them, only then you're going to break wudu. Otherwise, just because of doubt, you're not going to. Let's continue. Bab at-takhfif fil wudu. At-takhfif is to lighten something. There's a difference between lightening something and reducing something. There's a difference between lightening something and reducing something. Lightening something means, takhfif is that you do something properly, but in a way that is acceptable, but it's still, it's done in the minimum way. The minimum acceptable, that is what you do. But reducing means what? That you leave out something that is necessary. So, takhfif will do, for instance, that a person performs only the obligatory parts of wudu. So for example, he washes the parts of the body once. Not that for the purpose of takhfif, a person says, okay, forget about it, I won't wash my left arm. No, you have to wash your left arm. You can wash it once only. However, you cannot leave it out. Because when the people left out their heels, when they were performing wudu, the Prophet ﷺ said, وَيْلُ لِلْأَعْقَابِ مِنَ النَّارِ So, takhfif, you can lighten but you cannot reduce. Performing the obligation is necessary. So for instance, for takhfif in wudu, you use very little water. Doesn't mean you use a bucket, but you use very little water. Inshallah, we will learn about the hadith. People generally think that piety is an exaggerating, you know, the deeds that you're doing. So for example, if a person is doing wudu, he will take a long time in performing wudu. You know, he will wash and rub again and again excessively. You know, wash once and rub all over and then wash second time and rub all over and third time, rub all over. You know, first of all, it takes a long time and second, it becomes very burdensome on a person. Other people cannot follow you. How practical is it to, to spend 15 minutes doing wudu? It's not practical at all. So piety is not in exaggerating things. Piety is in what? Following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And we see that the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ was that sometimes he would do isbagh in wudu, meaning thoroughly performing wudu. And sometimes he would do takhfif. But he would never fall short, nor would he exceed. Remember that there is a particular window. One to three times. That you have an option with. But less than once, more than three times, we don't have an option regarding that. So at-takhfif will wudu. And it's very important to know how to perform wudu lightly. Why? Because sometimes a person is in a situation where he has very little water or he doesn't have much time, then he should be able to perform wudu you know, in the most quick manner, in the most efficient manner, using less time, using less water as well. حدثنا علي بن عبد الله قال حدثنا سفيان عن عمر قال أخبرني كريب عن ابن عباس So Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنه he narrated that أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم once نام he slept حتى until نفخ نفخ means to blow and over here it gives the meaning of snoring so he slept until he was snoring and then summa then salla he prayed. When he, when he got up, when he woke up, then he prayed. وَرُبَّمَا And perhaps قَالَ He said اِطَّجَعَ اِطَّجَعَ 
meaning he retired to bed hatta until nafakha nafakha meaning he was snoring so or perhaps this is what he said he's not sure whether ibn abbas said nama hatta nafakha or ittaja hatta nafakha thumma qama fasalla then he stood up and then he prayed thumma then haddathna bihi sufyan then sufyan has also narrated this to us marratan ba'da marratin time after time Meaning many times Sufyan has narrated this to us from who on Amrin, on Kuraybin, on Ibn Abbasin, meaning a similar hadith from Ibn Abbas. This has been reported to us, you know, many times over and over again. Sufyan has narrated this to us that Ibn Abbas, he said, Bittu in the khalati. Bittu. I stayed at night. I spent night in the khalati near my, with my maternal aunt. Who is she? Maymuna. Maymuna, radiallahu anha, the zawja of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Laylatan, one night. And during that night, فَقَامَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he stood من اللَّيْلِ from the night, meaning a portion of the night. He stood in prayer. فَلَمَّا كَانَ So when he was في بعض اللَّيْلِ In a portion of the night, in a certain part of the night, meaning when a part of the night was over, قَامَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ The Prophet ﷺ, he stood up, فَتَوَضَّأَ And then he performed wudu. Min from shannin, a water skin, مُعَلَّقٍ that was hanging. Shannin مُعَلَّقٍ a water skin that was hanging. The word shann is used for a water skin that is made of very old you know, skin or leather that is from either a goat or sheep. Okay, so either from goat skin or sheep skin that has aged for a very long time. So you can imagine when it has gone through the process of aging, it's going to become tough and dry. So this is why people would use it as leather for making different goods. And also they would make water skin out of that. So it's like a, you can see like a bag, for instance, like your hot water bottle, okay, something like that. And they would use it to store water. And in particular, this skin they would use. Why? Because water kept in it would remain cool. Okay? It would remain cool for a long time. You know, just like you use your thermos to keep your drink warm, okay, hot or cold. So likewise, shan was used to keep water cold. So this shan, it was mu'allaq, it was hanging, it was suspended. And the Prophet ﷺ made wudu from that. What kind of wudu was it? Wudu and wudu that was khafif and very light. يُخَفِّفُهُ عَمْرٌ عَمْرٌ narrator. He said either he did khafif wudu وَيُقَلِّلُهُ Or he said قَلِيل wudu. Meaning either the Prophet, he used two words to describe the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ. Either khafif or qalil. Now again, qalil does not mean reducing part of it, but rather lightening it. So in other words, reducing the number of times. Not what is obligatory, but the number of times that he would wash a part of the body for wudu. So يُخَفِّفُهُ عَمْرٌ وَيُقَلِّلُهُ وَقَامَ And he stood, يُصَلِّي And he started praying. Meaning he got up, he performed wudu from that water skin, and then he stood up in order to pray. Now Ibn Abbas, he was there, and he's watching. And then when the Prophet ﷺ to pray, so Ibn Abbas also he got up, فَتَوَضَّأْتُ So I also got up and performed wudu, نَحْوًا Just as, similar to, or the same as, مِمَّا From what? تَوَضَّأَ He performed wudu. So, Exactly the same way, from the same water skin, from the same water, you know, in the same manner, light wudu, I did the same thing. 
ثُمَّ جِئْتُ And then I came. فَقُمْتُ Then I stood عَنْ يَسَارِهِ On his left. يَسَار This is left. It's not right. But isn't the name Yusra from the same root as well? And we give the name Yusra. Yeah. Yasin Ra. It gives us multiple meanings. Of them is ease. Of them is left. Okay, so Yusra is from فَسَنُ يَسِّرُوا لِلْيُسْرَى Easy. And this Yasar, this is left. The opposite of Yasar is Yameen. So, ثُمَّ جِئْتُ فَقُمْتُ عَنْ يَسَارِهِ I came and stood on the left side of the Prophet ﷺ. And when a person is praying alone and you go and join him, where are you supposed to stand? On the right. So what happened? وَرُبَّمَا قَالَ سُفْيَانُ عَنْ شِمَالِهِ Or Sufyan, perhaps he said, on his left. Meaning he used a different word. Yasar and Shimal both mean the same thing. فَحَوَّلَنِي So the Prophet ﷺ, he moved me. حَوَّلَ يُحَوِّلُ تَحْوِيلُ To turn around. So he you know, took me, he moved me from behind taking around. So he moved me. فَجَعَلَنِي تَحْوِيلُ الْقِبْلَ The change of Qibla. Same root, right? So he changed me, he moved me. فَجَعَلَنِي And then he placed me عَنْ يَمِينِهِ On his right. I came and stood on his left and he moved me to his right side. ثُمَّ صَلَّى مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ And then he prayed whatever Allah willed. Meaning whatever Allah allowed him to pray, he prayed as much as that. And then, ثُمَّ And then, اِطَّجَعَ And then again he reclined to bed, meaning he retired to bed, meaning he slept. فَنَامَ And then he slept حَتَّى نَفَخَ To the point that he was snoring. ثُمَّ أَتَاهُ And then he came to him, المُنَادِي The caller. فَآذَنَهُ And then he gave adhan to him بِالصَّلَاةِ وَبِالصَّلَاةِ Meaning, the munadi came, the mu'addin came, and who was that? Bilal And he announced the, the time of Salatul Fajr. فَقَامَ مَعَهُ And then he stood with him إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ the salah. Meaning, he went to the masjid in order to pray. فَصَلَّى Then he prayed وَلَمْ يَتَوَضَّى And the Prophet ﷺ did not perform wudu. He was sleeping to the point that he was snoring. And then he got up when the adhan was said and he went to the masjid and he prayed. But between the two things, he did not do wudu. قُلْنَا لِعَمْرٍ We said to Amr, إِنَّ نَاسًا Indeed people, people. Okay? يَقُولُونَ They say that why is it the Prophet ﷺ went and prayed without wudu? Some people, they say that إِنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ تَنَامُ عَيْنُهُ His eyes sleep وَلَا يَنَامُ قَلْبُهُ but his heart does not sleep. The reason why he did that, some people say that his eyes would sleep, but his heart would not sleep. قَالَ عَمْرٌ Amr said, سَمِعْتُ عُبَيْدَ بْنَ عُمَيْرٍ يَقُولُ I heard Ubaid ibn Umayr يَقُولُ He was saying that رُؤْيَ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ The dreams of the prophets are wahyun. They are also revelation. ثُمَّ قَرَأَ And then he recited, إِنِّي أَرَى فِي الْمَنَامِ أَنِّي أَذْبَحُكُ Ibrahim Salam said to his son, that I saw in my dream that I was slaughtering you. So the dreams of the prophets are what? Also wahi. So when they're taking wahi, can their hearts be asleep? Can't be asleep, right? So even though they were asleep, they were still conscious. So if the Prophet ﷺ was sleeping, he was aware of whether or not his wudu broke. So this is why he did not perform wudu. This is what some people say. And Imam Bukhari has also mentioned this after the hadith. Inshallah we'll discuss that. We see in this hadith that Ibn Abbas anhu he stayed during the night in the house of the Prophet ﷺ. Why did he live there? Didn't he live in the same city? I mean he wasn't traveling that he had to live at somebody's house. So why did he stay there? 
Was there a reason? Okay, so what? Do you just randomly go and sleep at your aunt's place in the same city? I mean, I understand when you're traveling or if you have renovations in your house or you know you have guests over and there's no room, so you have to go somewhere, so you go to your closest relative's house. But why would he go? He wanted to learn from the Prophet ﷺ, but in the night he's sleeping. So what could he learn possibly? How he spent his night. So he wanted to observe how the Prophet ﷺ spent his night. What does this show to us? That he stayed there deliberately to learn, to observe, and it shows how much love he had for the Prophet ﷺ and how much interest he had in the Prophet ﷺ. Think about how young Ibn Abbas was at that time. In the hadith that we learned, that was similar to this one, before in, in Kitab al-Ilm we learned, the Prophet ﷺ said, Nam al-Ghulayyim. He was still Ghulayyim, a little boy at that time. But imagine he must have had a lot of love for the Prophet ﷺ that he wanted to stay. You know how sometimes if you have a guest and your children get along really well with them, they don't want to leave them? And you tell them, look, it's bedtime, now they have to go to sleep, so you go to your room and you have to sleep. No, no. They'll stick around, they'll observe, they will look, they will talk, they'll be interested in their phone, in their bag, in their shoes, everything. That's when the child is interested, right? Why? Because they feel comfortable. They know that that person is special. The thing is that children, they're very loving. Children, they can easily develop love for other people. And they can easily develop attachment to other people. Very easily. You spend a little bit of time, appreciate them a little, and they will give everything of theirs to you. And we see that Ibn Abbas, despite the fact that he was young, his heart was full of love for the Prophet ﷺ. And we need to do the same thing. Instill the love of deen, instill the love of the Prophet ﷺ, of good people, of righteous people, in the hearts of our children from a very, very young age. So that they can look up to righteous people. And they aspire to become like them. They want to become like them. You know, children, they love to look at others. This is why we see that little children, they don't even know who Spider-Man is, who, who Superman is, but they will talk about Spider-Man, Superman all the time. Why? Because something was mentioned or a picture was shown and they know that this is something great. Even if they don't fully understand, they will be very much interested. So we need to instill that love in the hearts of little children. And we think, oh, what do they know? What do they understand? No, they look, they observe. Recently I've I've started making this a habit that if any scholar or teacher or guest is coming to town, to Al-Huda, I tell my son from before, today, so-and-so is coming. Like when Sheikh Walid was coming, I mentally prepared him for many days before that inshallah Sheikh Walid is going to come. Sheikh Walid is coming. He is a teacher and he recites Quran so well. And I showed him you know, a video of Sheikh Walid so that he would listen to him reciting Surah Al-A'la and he almost memorized the entire surah just by listening to him. And when Sheikh Walid came, you know, he was amazed. Oh, Sheikh Walid. And he's telling everybody, I met Sheikh Walid. Sheikh Walid is my friend. I like him. He was excited. So I want that as he grows up, he should have love for people who are righteous, people who are knowledgeable, so that he looks up to them and he wants to become like them as well. So many times it happens that when scholars are coming, when teachers are coming, we tell you know children they can't come here, they have to stay away. Introduce them, make them meet other people so that they get excited about it. You know they love them as well. 
The other day we had somebody else come over. Uh, I'm sure you are familiar with the brother Wissam. He teaches the read. So he was coming over to our house and I was telling Nafir from before, you know, Uncle Wissam is coming. Uncle Wissam is coming. And he recites Quran. And he's looking at him. And then as soon as he started reciting Quran, he was just staring at him. Okay, he's the one. Children observe a lot. They observe a lot. They're very observant. It's up to you what you put into their hearts. It's up to you what you show them is very big. Whatever you give them, they'll take it. So make them excited so that they can learn. Look at Ibn Abbas. He went to sleep at their house and he observed what the Prophet ﷺ was doing. This also shows how the Prophet ﷺ welcomed him in. You know, sometimes we say, uh, you know, we're busy. No children allowed here. No kids allowed here. Because they're creating too much disruption. If a child is behaving good, he's behaving well, and he has that attention span, then let him come. Let him come. And as soon as you feel that, okay, he needs to do something different, and children can't sit for too long quietly, then take them out. When the classes were being done in the masjid, when recently the scholars visited, I made sure that he went and sat, even for one minute. Even for one minute. He went, sat there, and looked around, looked at the microphone, and then he went back. So, you know, it's necessary that they get to know, okay, this is a classroom, and this is a teacher, and this is Qur'an, and this is what we do. It's very important for them. And we should also welcome them in. We should also keep the doors open for them. Another important thing that we learn here about Ibn Abbas is that how much love he had to learn about the deen, how much interest he had to learn about the deen, that he decided to leave his bed, leave his home, and spend the night somewhere else. I mean, how many of us would do that? Take a class during the night. It's got to be something extremely, extremely important. There's no other option. Only then we will choose to do something at night. Look at the child. He wanted to spend the night somewhere else, not to have fun, but to observe, to learn, to notice, to pray. And this is the reason why we see that he followed the Prophet ﷺ everywhere. And after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, he followed the Sahaba everywhere. And he would learn from them, ask them questions. And they would say that, cousin of the Prophet ﷺ, you should have called us. He said, no. You know, the student has to come to the teacher. He has to wait. So he would wait for hours in the sun. This came because that love, that interest in learning, it was it was already there in the heart. And children, they can develop patience for whatever they are interested in. They're not interested in eating, you can't make them sit for one minute. They're not interested in you know, listening to you, they're not going to sit there for one minute. But they're interested in a car, they will play with it for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. They won't get bored, isn't it? So whatever interest they have, and whatever you give to them, that's the interest that they will develop. So this is the reason why he was able to follow him around, follow the companions around, stay in the sun, in the heat, wait there for hours. This is how he had patience for ilm. Subhanallah, me and my husband, we were debating what to do with it because he's getting toys left and right about this. And like you said, it instills a love in the in the child. And then, you know, we talked about this in, in one of the Al-Maghrib classes, how Subhanallah, the Sahabas and the Prophet ﷺ, they have a lot of miracles that Allah gave them. But because their children are like looking at these unnatural things that they are seeing in their heroes, when they hear, when they grow up and they hear about the qualities, for example, like, you know, how the water came out from the fingers and this and that, they're not as fascinated because there's all these non, uh, non-true non miracles of these, uh, you know, made up whatever. So SubhanAllah, me and my husband, we, we came up with like, 
like a, a strategy for Uthman, like my son. We, uh, he, he has this cape. He takes my hijabs and he's like, it's my cape. I'm that man. So we're like, okay. We're like, you know, which one was the real superhero? What's daddy's superhero? He's like, which one? So he brought out this red bandana and uh, he put it on my, you know, on my, my son's uh, head. He said, you know, Abu Dujana, he was a real, like, you know, hero. He killed, like, real bad guys. He didn't, he wasn't a made-up story. And then somehow he was just, like, listening. And then we started, me and my husband, we started going, I want to be Abu Dujana. I want to be And then, you know, my son is like, no, no, I want to be Abu Dujana. So we were trying to basically put the, like, you know, but subhanAllah, like, like, for us, it was late, like, you know, in the sense that he already had something in his heart and now trying to do the opposite. But inshallah, for the new parents and whatever, like, you need to do this in advance because he'll get all these negative heroes and negative whatever from society. So that's smart. Yeah. And the thing is that eventually children do get exposed to all these things. I mean, how much can you protect them? Eventually they will. But whatever you put in their hearts at a young age, that will stick. That will remain. And children, like we learned that at a very young age, children are not able to make decisions for themselves. So you have to decide for them and you have to decide what you want them to appreciate, to look up to. Children love to imitate, they love to copy. I mean, whatever you will show them, that's what they will do. Whatever you you want your child to become, you start telling them from a very young age. My child will become a sheikh, a hafil. My child will give adhan. He will do the iqama. He will lead people in salah. So whatever you say, that is the image that children make in their minds. And that is what they become when they grow up. Because that's what they like to do. And the Prophet ﷺ did not wake him up to pray. He did not tell him, okay, sleep now, okay, wake up now, okay, do wudu. He's just doing what he's doing and Ibn Abbas is following him. It's a waste of time. Why are they wasting all this money with these stupid things and just throw it out in front of them? So yeah. they just, you're not telling them, but they just listen to you and they, they are yeah. absorbing those things. Yeah. That's so they realize, okay, yeah. this is not worth it's much worth importance. Yeah. The Sharif was here. Uh, the great Jews had to go and uh, say salam to him. And he told him, oh, Muhammad al-Sharif, you know, I had uh, listened to a lecture when the wolves became, uh, became shepherd. And he said, oh, yeah, with who? With my mom. And he mentioned that to me. He said, oh, subhanAllah, when I was listening to it, I, I didn't think that he would follow. Yes. And then the same day he said, okay, mommy, let's listen to this lecture again. Yes. Over and over again, subhanAllah. Yeah. Maryam to go and recite Quran to him. And mashallah, he listened and, and she recited and she was so happy because he praised her. Yeah. So, Somebody was telling me recently about their grandson, that how when he was very small, you know, he used to give adhan and he used to love leading people in prayer. And I, I have seen that kid growing up and I saw how he used to recite Quran so beautifully and he just loved Sheikh Sudais. He just loved him. And he would try to recite like him. And when he was very small, he said to his father once that, Baba, let's move to Saudi because uh, I want to give adhan in Makkah. I want to, you know, I'll, I want to ask Sheikh Sudes if I can give adhan. So, you know, they encouraged him, you know, recite the Quran. He was interested in Sheikh Sudes, making him watch him or listen to him. And recently, the father, he got an opportunity to meet Sheikh Sudes and he took his son along with him. And his son was just like, it was like his, you know, wish, his dream come true. He was so happy. And he was telling him about how he listens to him and how he reads like him and how he loves his recitation. Instill that love in the heart of your children so that they want to become like good people, like righteous people. Present them as their role models. And make them realize that, wow, this is impressive and this is something very amazing. Whatever you show as big, they will look at it as big. 
And in this hadith we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he slept. And obviously when he slept, Ibn Abbas also and Maymunah also, everybody slept. And in another rivaya, in another narration, we learn that Ibn Abbas slept on one side of the room and the Prophet ﷺ and his wife, they slept on the other side of the room. And we see that when the Prophet ﷺ slept, he was snoring. Some sound was coming out. Somebody asked me when we learned this hadith earlier that this means snoring is okay or what? The thing is that snoring is something that's I mean, natural. You don't do it deliberately. And typically, even if a person doesn't snore generally, when do they snore? When they're tired or when they're in deep sleep. Isn't it so? Typically, that is when they will sleep. Now, obviously, sometimes it happens that if a person is snoring too much excessively or too loud, then that becomes a problem. And, you know, there are cures to that and a person should adopt that but as long as it's in moderation it is there is no harm in that and there are many other lessons that we learn in this hadith first of all we see the the permissibility of staying in the house of another person at night in the same place as that of the husband and wife okay we learned about this earlier as well however there are certain conditions when can a person stay in the house or in the room of other people first of all both of them allow it, and they approve of it. So for example, as a wife, if you have guests over and they're going to sleep at night, make sure your husband allows that. The, his permission, his approval is necessary. Likewise, the permission, the approval of the wife is also necessary because neither of them should be in in discomfort. And it happens sometimes that when, for example, there is a guest and they're staying and they're staying, it causes a lot of strain on the relationship of the husband and wife. So, yes, having guests over is something very good, but it should only be with the approval, with the permission of both the husband and wife. And likewise, if you're staying with your parents, then it has to be with the permission of your parents. Secondly, if definitely if it's in the same room, like in this hadith, all of the members should be mahram to one another. Ibn Abbas was the nephew of Maimunah. So there was no issue of hijab. And besides, he was a young child. So there was no issue of hijab whatsoever. And thirdly, Appropriate arrangements must be made. So for example, Ibn Abbas was sleeping on one side and they were sleeping on the other side of the room. So likewise, appropriate arrangements should be made. Another very important lesson that we learn uh, in this hadith is the permissibility of using the property of another person when you know that they will not object to that. What's the evidence of that? That Ibn Abbas, he got up and used the water from the water skin without asking openly from the Prophet ﷺ or Maimunah ﷺ. Why? Because it was understood. It was acceptable. It wasn't something that was, you know, objectionable. So likewise, if you go to somebody's house and, you know, they welcome you in very nicely and it's perfectly fine if you go up to the kitchen and you get a glass of water, you don't have to ask them and force yourself to be a guest. No. If you're welcoming them and everything's at the table, everything's laid in front of you, you don't have to take the permission before you pick up the spoon or before you you know, make your way to the to the washroom that's right in front. I mean, there's different levels of formality. So with those whom you are not as formal with, it's okay. Okay? And also, there are different types of things as well. Some things you know, if I use it, no harm. But other things, if you use them, the other person might have some objection to it. So for example, you go to somebody's house, you're using the toilet, and there's soap over there, okay, use it. But if you see a face wash, you're not going to start using that. Okay? You're not going to start using that. Likewise, if they have a, a towel hanging over there for your hands, use that. But don't start opening the 
washroom cupboard to see what's inside and take out a fresh towel from there or you know use that no do whatever is approved and acceptable another important lesson that we learn is that wudu may be performed from water that may be coming from any source okay it could be coming from a bottle of water okay it could be coming from a vessel a tap a spring river sea whatever you like obviously why not because some people they say that like i mentioned earlier as well that wudu should only be performed from a specific certain type of a container there is no such restriction because we see the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was performing wudu from what water that was coming out of water skin likewise we see that wudu can also be performed with water that is good for drinking now water that was kept in the water skin obviously you would drink that but they used it for wudu this is not wasting water so for example if you are somewhere and you can't have access to a tap to do wudu and you have water bottles are you wasting water no you're not wasting water because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says wasakhkhara lakum ma fil ardi jami'an minhu allah has subjected everything in the earth for you so you are allowed to use it okay for need for whatever purpose you have just because you bought the water doesn't mean that you can't use it for wudu you can okay, as long as it's clean and one more thing that we should uh, remember is that if however for example a source of water has been reserved for something in particular then you cannot use it for wudu now this water skin was understood if the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did wudu from that then ibn abbas also did it but otherwise if you would see a jug of water would you start doing wudu from it no because that is kept for drinking purposes likewise if you see water bottles somewhere they are there for you to drink from don't start you know washing your food with it or washing your hands with it if it has been designated for drinking likewise sometimes you go to a masjid and there are certain you know sinks over there and it says over there please do not perform wudu over here so don't say oh why are they stopping us you can do wudu anywhere this is water it doesn't make a difference it does make a difference to them so don't make wudu over there make wudu at the designated place so for example a water fountain you know sometimes people will start washing their hands over there that water is specifically for drinking purposes and that's the reason why you know a filter has been put in and that's the reason why you know the temperature is also controlled and that is the reason why it has been installed so if you start washing your hands over there you're using the resources wasting them in a way and also you're preventing other people from drinking the water i mean somebody might be waiting to drink water so remember that if something has been reserved for a specific purpose and you use it for that only however in the general sense we are allowed to use water anywhere So if it's considered acceptable if it's considered okay you have a water bottle in your car do whatever you want but if you are somewhere and there's a water fountain don't start doing wudu over there Sometimes people don't want to wait in the lineup in the washroom and the water fountain that's outside the toilet they will start doing wudu over there It's inappropriate I mean what what kind of behavior are we displaying to the people what will they see that people are using the water to wash their hands and feet the water that is for drinking so be careful Like for example in the haram as well we see that there are certain water coolers which are placed over there so that people can drink the water not so that people can start performing wudu over there there are certain other places within the haram even where there are taps from which you know the zamzam is coming out and you can perform wudu there you can but don't use the water that has been placed into coolers and then transported and then brought to a certain place and people are waiting they want to drink and you're doing wudu and the whole place gets wet somebody can slip and hurt themselves really bad so we should be careful another important lesson that we learn in this hadith is 
the permissibility of moving in salah when it is absolutely necessary and it's not excessive. So the Prophet ﷺ moved and Ibn Abbas also moved. He moved, the Prophet ﷺ moved to move, Ibn Abbas, Ibn Abbas moved to move from one position to the other. So when it is absolutely necessary, then it is okay. Likewise, if you see the, the row in front of you, people are praying salah and there's a gap in the middle. So the saf is not right and shaitan can come there. So you're standing right behind, take a step forward and, and fill in the gap. Now imagine, if this is something that we're to do in salah, what about otherwise? Isn't it important? It is, right? In salah, we are supposed to do that. So otherwise, it's even more necessary. So for example, if you're praying salah and there are children who are praying with you and they're moving constantly, can you like, you know, do something, you know, touch them slightly so that they realize what they're doing? As long as it's very, very minimal. And also look at the age of the child. Because some children, they can't stand still. They really can't. So there's no point in you know, forcing them to stand and you know kicking their foot so that they join their foot with yours. There's no point in doing that. You're telling the child not to move and you're showing them that you're moving. So be careful. Another important lesson that we learn in this hadith is about sleep and wudu, the relationship of sleep and wudu. Remember that sleep in and of itself is not hadith. Meaning it's not something that causes wudu to break. What causes wudu to break, to be nullified are other things. And we discussed that earlier, hadith asghar, hadith akbar. That's completely different. Wudu will only be nullified in sleep when you know a person is sure that something happened, that he did something. And I mentioned to you earlier that there's a difference between sleep that is long and sleep that is short. If the Prophet ﷺ did not have to do wudu after sleep, because of the evidence that is given at the end of the hadith, then he wouldn't have done wudu the first time either. He wouldn't have done wudu the first time either. I mean, he used water from the water skin. I mean, that's for drinking. But he used it to do wudu. Why? Because before that, he slept for a longer period of time. Okay? And after that, when he slept, it was for a much shorter period of time. Although he was snoring, but it was only for a few minutes perhaps. And then he went to the masjid. So the main thing over here is, Sleep that is long and sleep that is short. If it's short sleep, then you know if something has happened or not. But if it's long, then you have no idea. You have no recollection. It doesn't matter if you're leaning behind or even if you slightly lie down. Even that's fine. Short is the main thing. And we also learn in this hadith that the imam, he should stay in his house until the time for salah has come in. Prophet ﷺ did not go to the masjid. Before the Adhan. He went after the Adhan. Some scholars say that it's sunnah to do that. The Imam should not come before the Adhan. Why? There is hikmah in this. Sometimes there is a long gap between the Adhan and the actual Salah. Isn't there? And the thing is that if a person, especially whose responsibilities is to lead other people in Salah, if he is in the masjid at the time of Adhan until the completion of Salah, how long will it take? Quite a while, right? And will he be able to pray in his house at all then? No. He won't be able to pray in his house at all. Will he be able to fulfill his other responsibilities? No. And likewise, you know then people, if the imam is there from before, okay, yes, people will be careful about coming on time and everything. However, it's quite possible that the muaddin feels shy or other people feel shy giving the adhan or, or standing there praying there. Sometimes it happens. So some scholars say that it is sunnah for the imam to go after the adhan and not before the adhan. 
that he is also responding to the adhan when he goes to the masjid. Because in the adhan, what does the muaddin say? Hayya ala salah. So he then goes to salah. So he's answering the call of the muaddin then as well. But if there is a reason for the imam to be there in the masjid from before, that is also okay. So inshallah we'll do this tomorrow. Inshallah. Okay. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.